Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Lynn Philip Hodgson. And I just finished a book here, a fascinating book, uh, World War II book that he wrote. The title of the book is Inside Camp X. And this is not his first book. He's written many books. Titles are Secret Agent Extraordinaire. Another is Word of Honor, Camp 30. Another is Silver Dagger. Then two, Camp X Final Battle and Vengeance Weapon. Also, Dispatches from Camp X, Ajax, Arsenal of Democracy, Mills of the Gods, and then a new one that just came out is titled The Birth of Special Operations in Canada. And his website, where you can read about his books and himself, is www.camp-x.com. And I will include that in the show notes, so you can just link right on through. But Lynn was born in the city of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, in 1946. When he was 13, his father purchased an amusement park in Pickering, Ontario, and named it Paul Lynn Park after Lynn and his brother Paul. It was there in Pickering that the brothers grew up. He married his high school sweetheart, Marlene, and they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary in 2014. They are the proud parents of two married daughters, and they retired to Burlington, Ontario. And he's the author of this best-selling book, again, Inside Camp X. He was a successful businessman for 35 years working for John's Manville Corporation. Among his achievements was the design and implementation of the first distributed integrated computer system called CSS early in the 1970s, which was to become the basis for most online computer systems used in business today. He was director of business logistics while working for a subsidiary company in Quebec with a large project team under supervision. He has spoken to over 100,000 public and high school students in the past 10 years enlightening them to their rich historical heritage here in Southern Ontario. He was a volunteer at the Camp X Museum in Oshawa and is past chair of the Scugog Shores Historical Museum, past vice chair and director of the Kawartha Region Conser Conservation Authority or the KRCA, director of the Military Heritage of Durham Region. He's also elected municipal counselor for Ward 3 in Scugog Township for over seven years and was chair of the Powerful Finance Committee and Works Committee. But again, we're going to talk about this fascinating book, which I've read through. Like, I love World, World War II books. And this was something I wasn't that familiar about. Uh, Justin Bizeau of the Divulgence podcast told me about this book and sent me a copy of it. So I was able to read through it in its entirety and uh, really learned a lot. So I'm delighted to have the author today. So Lynn Philip Hodgson, welcome to the show. Thanks for your time. Uh, thank you, William. Happy to be here. Awesome. So for people who may not have read your book or heard, I mean, th this additional background, can you talk about, I know you grew up in the area where this camp was, but can you talk about your interest and what led you to write this book, Inside Camp X? Yes. Um, yeah, I've always had an interest in uh, World War II. Of course, when I was born, uh, it was just shortly after uh, World War II was over. And uh, I grew up with uh, many, many, many of the soldiers who, uh, who went overseas and fought in that war. And as a matter of fact, I remember vividly that when I was young, uh, it, it was uh, an obligation of yours to attend a Remembrance Day service uh, every November the 11th. And there would be a parade and, and we would literally watch thousands of uh, soldiers march by. But uh, you'd have the day off school, but you had to attend that uh, Remembrance Day service. And there were thousands out there for it. So that was my interest that uh, got me started in, in uh, uh, this particular uh, venture that I got into. Plus the fact that uh, 
when uh, Man Called Intrepid came out in 1976, um, we, my wife and I, Marlene, were, we were living in uh, Whitby, which was a stone's throw away from, from Camp X, of course, unbeknownst to us. So uh, uh, after reading the book, um, there was a natural interest there to find out uh, more about it. And I started to do research and, and I was amazed that nobody else was doing this at the time. Uh, so I jumped on the, the opportunity and uh, it's been, it's been a, an amazing uh, tour, that's for sure. Right. And you, I think on your website, it just has in the opening page that you've been researching Camp X for over 40 years. And for people who don't know, a man called Intrepid was about a very important figure during World War II. Uh, by the name of William Stephenson, and he got that name supposedly from Churchill, right? Correct. Uh, yes, he got the the uh, intrepid uh, uh, part of the. Uh, uh, it was on the front of all the uh, teletypes that were going back and forth between Camp X and uh, Bletchley Park in England. So uh, it was a, a lead to uh, to the uh, teletypes. Gotcha. So that was kind of his code name. And can right. you talk for people, the locale, like you grew up kind of in that area. Can you talk about the location of this camp and how it got started and why it got started? Yeah, this area, which is called Durham region, has a population now of 860,000 people. Uh, back then, uh, it was mostly farmland back in the 40s. And, um, but during the the war, it was very, very rich in uh, talented people uh, who obviously got involved in the war immediately in all different aspects of it. But, uh, for example, just uh, six miles west of me is the town of Ajax, and it was called DIL, Defense Industries Limited. Uh, there, 9,000 women filled over 40 million shells. It was the largest ammunition plant in the uh, British Commonwealth. And then, uh, of course, there's Camp X just down by the lake. And then uh, just another six or seven miles to the other side is uh, Oshawa Airport, where they trained over 2,000 pilots who would go on to fly uh, hurricanes and Spitfires and uh, Lancasters. And then uh, just uh, another 10 miles to the uh, east of that was a German POW camp where they had over 800 senior German officers, including three German generals, uh, in in turn during the uh, the Second World War. So the whole area was very very rich in uh, staging uh, soldiers for for going overseas. And what was the purpose of this camp? This it, it definitely had a designation, kind of a secret designation. I think it was STS one hundred three. It got the designation Camp X later, but why was it created? Okay, why was it created? Very interesting question because um, it was one question that was in my mind for, for a long time uh, to, to find out uh, the who, why, when, where, and how of Camp X. You know, uh, what world event caused someone to create a camp here in, in little old Whitby um, uh, on the shores of Lake Ontario? And what purpose uh, did it have? Uh, what was the intention? All those questions came up, and my research took me to the fact that, and this is this is this is definitely documented in uh, many many articles, but uh, it goes back to the uh, Battle of Britain, and uh, that's because Britain knew Churchill knew that uh, 
Great Britain was going to be occupied by the Germans as soon as uh, Operation Sea Lion would take place with, on November the 1st of 1940. And that was going to be the uh, uh, 100,000 uh, fighting soldiers coming across the English Channel with their armada of ships and uh, landing on the shores of uh, England and occupying uh, Great, Great Britain, just as they had done with so many countries before that. So uh, in complete uh, uh, in, uh, complete uh, desperation, Churchill uh, came up with a couple of things that he had to do immediately. Uh, as the Battle of Britain was taking place over the skies of London, and that was to, uh, first of all, uh, uh, put into place a, a, an operation which was called Operation Fish. And uh, it was a number of destroyers that took uh, all of Britain's gold reserves across the Atlantic uh, to be uh, housed in uh, one of the banks in uh, the bank of, in Montreal and uh, in the basement, which it did. It came over, was housed there all during the war. And then in the second thing he did was he created something called the SOE, the Special Operations Executive. And that was a, a they call it ungentlemanly warfare. Uh, kids gloves off, Queensbury rules of fighting out the window, anything goes, including assassination. So um, in my book, I think you probably saw that I referred to Camp X as an assembly line for secret agents. And that's because... Uh, when Stevenson had his operations, the BSC, the British Security Coordination in uh, Manhattan, New York, um, he uh, established a, uh, a big operation there. And uh, one of the things he had to do was, was, was create this uh, camp in Canada. Um, and the problem, of course, was that the United States was still neutral at the time. Right. So, so he um, he had to uh, had to hire a lot of people for his operation, but he couldn't hire Americans, and uh, so he had to come to Canada and uh, uh, recruited uh, over um, oh uh, two thousand uh, women that would ended up working for uh, Stevenson's operation, both at Camp X and at uh, and at New York. So. Um, that's how it got started. And then, of course, the assembly line, as I mentioned, the assembly line, uh, the SOE in England would send him a teletype uh, to New York and say, we need, um, uh, let's say, 12 uh, Yugoslavs to be sailing for England uh, in September, and they need to be trained in course E. Well, that would tell Stevenson right away uh, the type of course that they had to be trained in. So uh, his people in Toronto, at their headquarters in Toronto, would have to go out and find these uh, recruits to uh, be trained at Camp X as secret agents and then get them trained in time to uh, to be sailing to uh, to England. Right, so it was I quite an organization. Right, really fascinating. And I think that you said that it was very fortunate in its locale because there were different ethnic groups that were involved in World War II that they could draw on to. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Toronto has, uh, and still does today, has large pockets of uh, ethnic backgrounds of uh, uh, Canadians, that, that new Canadians who came over from, uh, from European countries after the First World War. So after the First World War, they came over with their families and they would be, say, 10 to 12 years of age and uh, educated here, uh, but also 
spoke the language of their of their home that they came from. So let's say Yugoslavia, uh, Hungary, Italy, etc. And uh, so very large pockets of uh, numbers of into a hundred thousand uh, because they had the, these Toronto's very vast like that where they've got little Italy, little Hungary, and it's pretty easy to go in there and uh, recruit someone just as it. Just as they've, they've done today with uh, with the Ukraine, um, a lot of uh, Ukrainian Canadians have gone back uh, to uh, to fight in the war today. So very similar situation. It's very easy to uh, recruit these people because they're um, they're at very uh, uh, dedicated and, and adamant of, of uh, what they want to accomplish. So uh, it wasn't a difficult thing to uh, recruit these these agents uh, during the war. And they had the the camp was it was an interesting layout because it wasn't obvious to the standard locale or people who lived around what was going on inside there, correct? Right, but it was very easy to hide because, um, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, one of the letters um, in the back of my book, uh, uh, declassified top secret documents that I got out of uh, Q in England. I went, went twice to England and, um, and some from NARA in Washington. Uh, but one of the documents was from the, uh, the, uh, the first commandant, Robert Kalbeck, uh, when he arrived and, and he wrote a letter to General Constantine. Well, General Constantine was a Canadian. Um, he was in charge of the liaison between uh, Camp X and, uh, and England. And so uh, he wrote a letter to him saying that uh, he'd never been to Canada before. He said, I'm shocked to see that this, this camp is not way up in northern Ontario in the woods, but here on the shores of Lake Ontario, right beside the, um, the uh, town of uh, Whitby and the city of Oshawa and the city, the huge city of Toronto. And uh, he said, I understand your concerns. Wrote a letter back to him. I understand your concerns. And uh, I have a suggestion for you. And the suggestion was for him to um, open up the, the gates and invite the press in, take them for a tour. And he said, that's, that's a great idea. And he did that. And I, I interviewed a man named Ford Lindsay. Uh, he was on that uh, tour. Uh, and this was some years ago, way back in the 70s when I was doing most of my research. And uh, he was on that tour and I interviewed him and he said that he met he met the uh, colonel at the gate with a number of others from Toronto. He was working for the Oshawa Times at the time. And uh, he said that the colonel was very nice and polite and showed them around. He said, oh, you're going to see all kinds of vehicles coming and going, army jeeps, that type of thing, staff cars, uh, people in, in, in uniform, which was not unusual to see at the time. And uh, they're going to be coming and going. And, uh, and also, he says, uh, those uh, rhombic antennas over there in that field, uh, we leased that land to the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And he said, uh, you're going to be hearing all kinds of explosions. He said, don't worry about it. We're testing uh, new weapons for the war effort. So they bought onto it. And uh, every time somebody called the newspaper and said, what the hell's going on down there? Um, they would say, oh, don't worry about it. They're just, just testing new stuff. And that's the way it, it stayed throughout the, the whole time. But it did, it did get the name uh, Camp X from the, um, the areas and uh, the people in the area, that the locals, the locals, the farmers and 
uh, and everyone in, in the town of Whitby because uh, they knew what was going on. They knew something was big. It was a big secret. You weren't allowed to go in. And uh, so um, they uh, named it Camp X and the X stood for mystery, the mystery camp because it right. didn't have and a name. Right, didn't really have a name. It had some military name, but also it was open the day before the bombing at Pearl Harbor, right? So yeah, it was fortuitous. Yeah. Well, that's uh, very interesting too, because uh, as I was doing my research, um, I uh, I found out that, uh, and this is again uh, declassified top secret documents that I have in my possession. Um, I found out that one of the letters was written on uh, December the. Uh, 6th, 1941, and it was from Roper Callbeck writing a letter to say that that morning to say that he had arrived safely and was telling uh, General Constantine uh, that things were, were operational. But that afternoon, he received a teletype from New York saying that the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor and that the United States had declared war on Japan and now they were in the war. Previous to that, as part of the Lend-Lease Agreement, Roosevelt, and as you know, uh, Churchill was was uh, desperate for the Americans to get into the war. Right. So uh, he was he was uh, uh, constantly after Roosevelt to uh, provide something. So through Lend-Lease, of course, they he did. Uh, but he said, "There's another way I can help you." Uh, when they had their meeting, he said, "We." We can so I can supply you with the uh, manpower. Um, you can do whatever you want with them, but uh, soldiers and uh, uh, young men, good shape, that type of thing. And he said, Now they cannot be trained in, in the United States, they must be in either Canadian or British uniform, they must have identification of a Canadian or British person. Um, and basically, they, they no longer exist once they leave here. And so that was all set up. And there's a place called, on the American side at uh, Niagara Falls, there's a place called Roosevelt Beach. Roosevelt Beach was a staging area uh, for these agents. It was a, uh, it was a military camp. And, but it was a staging area for these agents. They were, all, they were all being prepped. They were all ready to go. And what they were going to do is they were going to come across the Lake Ontario under the cover of darkness, and you could land right on the shores of Lake Ontario at Camp X, and uh, walk up the the hill, and you were you were inside the camp. So it was a perfect uh, perfect setup. Well, of course, when when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, it changed the whole ball game. They no longer had to do that. They could come up by uh, train. They could fly into Oshawa Airport in uniform. They could uh, drive up uh, uh, across the Peace Bridge. Uh, it was a whole new ball game after after that had happened. Right. And can you talk, I mean, if some famous people went through there, Ian Fleming had an experience through Camp X, the author of the Bond series. But can you talk about the program and what the training was like? And some of the characters, there were a variety of different people who trained different skills for these agents, right? Yeah. Well, when, when um, yes, and that's a good point because uh, in Britain, they had some 50 or so of these various camps, but they were all unique. So for example, uh, Manchester, England had uh, ringway, which was uh, parachute uh, jumping. And that's all you did there. Bletchley Park, 
had um, signals, Morse code. And of course, that's all you did there. And then a school called Bewley, uh, that was for sabotage. So they had all these different camps. But of course, with with uh, with Canada, that wasn't uh, that, that that just didn't fit into the cards. It wasn't going to work. So what they had to do was send experts over here. So when Roper Callback came over, the commanding officer, uh, he brought all of his people with him, and they were all experts in uh, in, in uh, one of these fields. So, for example, they had uh, one guy was uh, an expert in explosives. Another guy was small arms weaponry. Uh, William Fairburn, the most talented silent killer in the world at the time, uh, was there at 59 years of, of age, brought out of retire- retirement, sent straight to Camp X to uh, train men who were, were uh, 20 years of age. Um, Morse code uh, signals, of course. So they were... They had a staff of about 15 uh, senior officers who were all experts in the, all these fields that I'm mentioning. And, of course, uh, that would take care of all the training that, that uh, the agents would require behind enemy lines. And it was how long was the program for the, the agents that passed through there? I mean, it was, a, it was kind of almost like basic training or something, right? Well, there, yeah, there were different. Um, they went to basic training in Camp Borden, which is uh, about 40 40, 50 miles north of here. Uh, so they went to Camp Borden first for basic training. Uh, then once they, they graduated from that, then they were sent to Camp X and all set up, to, ready to go. Uh, but the, once they got to the camp, as I was mentioning, uh, you know, SOE would put in a requirement for some particular area that they needed. And so the, they had A, B, C, D, E types of... of um, of uh, syllabus for, for, for the camp. And um, so you, it, A could be two weeks training, B could be four weeks training and so on. And then down to E where you would have uh, 12 weeks of, of very competitive and repetitive uh, training in uh, all of the areas that I, that I mentioned. And that usually meant that you were going to go in and you were going to be in there for some time. You were going to be there for a long time. I mean, behind it, enemy lines. Right. So they were going to send you right into the kind of warfare. They, But it wasn't just about training. There was also a very significant component about communications and, uh, you know, this whole Hydra thing. Can you talk about that as well? Yeah. Communications was um, the Hydra operation. It was the, uh, the uh, oh, it was the most powerful radio in the Western Hemisphere at the time, it was built by hand from a by a man and his team of uh, operators, um, a man named uh, Pat Bailey, Benjamin DeForest Pat Bailey, a Canadian uh, and uh, very brilliant man, absolutely brilliant. And he actually, uh, uh, once he got up and operational, completely up or operational at the camp, he invented a machine called the Rock X, and it was actually named after the Rockettes of uh, Manhattan, where he was uh, had his office with uh, Bill Stevenson, of course. So he um, uh, built this Rock X. It was it was never never broken by the uh, Japanese or the or the Germans during the entire war. It was one the one machine that was never broken by either side. 
So um, he he created all of that himself, and uh, and then uh, of course another colorful fellow was uh, as you mentioned uh, Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming was there in August of uh, 1943, and he was there with a group of uh, people that were under him called AU30, and that was Assault Unit 30. So they were what you would call Navy SEALs. And um, their expertise, of course, was all underwater. They were training at uh, the camp uh, in Lake Ontario with one-man subs. And what they were doing, of course, was uh, attaching <coughs> limpet mines underneath uh, the hull of uh, a freighter that would be moored just off the camp. Uh, so that's, of course, where he, he obviously picked up much of what he had in the uh, early uh, James Bond uh, movies. And and then uh, there were a couple other co colorful guys that were there. Uh, Paul Dane. Um, Paul Dane was a screenplay writer before the war. And uh, he, he taught uh, political warfare called PWE, Political war Warfare Executive. And that was fighting the war with your mind. And I, I liken it to, to a game of chess where you've got to be three moves ahead of your opponent, you know, at any given time. And uh, it was how to outsmart the, uh, the Germans and how not to be captured. And if you were captured, how to, how to basically fight with your, with your mind and uh, not weapons because you obviously wouldn't have any. Right. So they, there was all kinds of training going on. People were going off into, you know, drop missions, Yugoslavia, Tito, and all that. Can you talk about some of the missions these agents were, were sent on? Everything you can imagine, including assassination. Um, uh, one mission that, that I wrote about, uh, a fellow named Joe Galeni, his mission was to go into, uh, into Hungary and uh, actually try to convince uh, the president of, of uh, Hungary to uh, uh, switch over and, and, uh, and not have the allegiance that they had at the time or supposedly uh, in Adolf Hitler, uh, but to come over to the Allied side. His job was to convince him that uh, the Germans were going to lose the war and, uh, he, and he could help by making it, it happen faster by uh, coming over and joining the Allies. So uh, that was a typical mission. Another one was uh, sabotage, where they would actually go in and, and blow up a, uh, a Messerschmitt uh, factory or something like that. Obviously, very dangerous uh, uh, missions. Others were recruitment. They, they trained a lot of women, not at Camp X, but in uh, the schools that I mentioned in England. And uh, they were trained uh, uh, early on in the war to go into France. Um, they actually had the... Uh, the greatest number of uh, losses because of uh, how dangerous that work was. The Gestapo were so strong in uh, Paris and France that uh, they uh, could easily pick up some of these, these agents. And uh, of course one would lead to another. So, uh, but uh, to go in and train the uh, train and, and recruit the Maquis in France. Uh, so that was typical when they were dropped, they were dropped with a canister when they parachuted in behind enemy lines, a, a canister was dropped with you and it was full of uh, uniforms and weapons and, and everything that you would need to fight and train the recruits. 
I mentioned assassination. Uh, that is a fact. Uh, the SOE, Special Operations Executive, uh, successfully uh, assassinated a man named Reinhard Heydrich, uh, the Butcher of Prague, they called him. Um, he was the protector. That was supposed to be Hitler's second uh, uh, second in command. That was the person who was going to take over. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was. And uh, when Hitler uh, was going to take over the world, as it was his plan, um, then uh, he would have retired eventually and uh, Heydrich was going to replace him. And he was absolutely ruthless. And so the, uh, the Allies wanted him uh, liquidated. And I actually have the, uh, the documents of that whole plan of the um, training that was done. Um, all the weapons that were, they were sent with these two uh, Czechoslovakian uh, SOE agents and, uh, and the uh, actual assassination. So everything, everything you can imagine, everything you can think of was uh, in play. Right. So there was all kinds of missions. And it was interesting. You brought up Sterling Hayden was in the book. Who right. Was, uh, yeah. yeah that was well, that's a, that's another interesting and great point. Uh, a lot of actors in Hollywood were part of this organization, were part of what was called the British Security Coordination. And the OSS, Julia Child, was an agent with the OSS. And uh, so a lot of, the, a lot of uh, Hollywood actors were involved. And the reason why they were involved is because they were going on those USO tours when, they, when the United States was uh, neutral. And of course, they could get into a lot of these countries or, you know, various countries in Europe. And they were, were briefed ahead of time by the, by the uh, OSS and said, uh, you know, uh, we want you to look out for this. We want you to note this, note that, uh, document everything, bring it all back. And then they were debriefed once they'd come back home. So uh, a lot of them played a huge role in, uh, in that uh in that theater of war. Right. I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of things going on. And it is interesting, like there were other kind of connections. You write about the connections to the POW camp, right? Yes. Bowman. Yeah. Can you talk about yes. that? Yes. 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 As you said, they, they were involved in everything and anything you can think of. Uh, uh, Skillbeck, which was the uh, third and final commanding officer of Camp X, uh, Cuthbert Skilbeck, his name was, uh, spoke fluent German. So what they came up with is a scheme where uh, they would capture overseas a German officer who was highly involved. Let's say he was involved in the V1 and the V2 operations. And they got him as far away from Germany as possible because they didn't want these guys escaping. So they sent them all to uh, to Canada. And they also sent some down to Arizona, quite a few down to Arizona. But um, they sent them to this camp in, in uh, Bowmanville, just not far from here. Uh, and so they would come up with, with a scheme where they would visit uh, Skillbeck at the camp and say, listen, we need you to go in and uh, pose as uh, a new a new uh, POW and, and uh, we need you to get close to this particular individual and find out as much as you can about what the guy was doing. And so they, uh, he would do that. And of course he would fill out his report once he got back, but this type of thing where, where uh, one day he's just being transferred to another camp in, out in Alberta, for example. 
to get him further away from the war. So all of a sudden he'd be picked up by a truck and, and moved out that day. But he was naturally taken right back to Camp X where he was the, actually the commanding officer. Right. And so there were these connections with all the stuff going on in World War II. And can you talk about, I mean, you've done 40 years of research. Can you talk about how your understanding of this, this important training camp kind of unraveled for you? Uh, how, how it, well, I, would, I guess my question way? is, is like, like, there's just, it seems like you keep running into people who give you information, people in the camp did your intro, you get letters, like you include a lot of narratives from other people's experiences in that right. camp, right? Right. I, I, I did. I, I did. Uh, uh, I did a lot of uh, research and interviews with uh, I, I interviewed everyone from uh, Sir William Stevenson himself, uh, Tommy Drewbrook, his second in command, who was the headquarters uh, director at uh, in Toronto. Um, Eric Kerwain, uh, a.k.a. Bill Simpson, was a very good friend of ours uh, for many years until the day he passed away. And uh, he was the chief recruitment officer for Camp X. So, um, of course, much of uh, the information I received uh, came from him and so many others. I had friends who were in the Hydra operations. I had friends who were actual agents, two of them that I wrote about in my book uh, in particular. Joe Galeni and, and uh, Andy Durovitz were both uh, Hungarian uh, agents, uh, Hungarian Canadians, uh, but trained at Camp X, lived locally not far from where I am right now, and lived locally, uh, sent overseas, sent on a mission into Hungary. Uh, both were captured. Both were taken to uh, German uh, special SOE camps and uh, brutally tortured by the Gestapo in, in uh, horrible ways and um, then managed to, uh, to escape and uh, through MI9, uh, and the escape route through the Pyrenees, we're able to make it back to uh, to England successfully. And then, of course, after the war, back to Canada, where I was lucky enough to, to meet them because they both lived to a, a good age. So uh, uh, a lot of situations like that. A lot of, lot of firsthand accounts of what happened there. And you have a website, too, with all your books and all the information as well, too, right? Right. It's uh, camp-x.com. So camp slash x or dash x dot com and my email is the uh, is uh, info at camp hyphen x dot com and it's also on the uh, it's also on the website yeah, and i have a facebook page that i do a lot of posts about uh, camp x and, and other camps uh facebook page is lynn philip hodgson um yeah so and so where's the best place to get this book uh Camp X. Inside Camp X, you can get it uh, on the website. You can download it in an ebook if you wish, and uh, you can get it in a paper copy from from me directly. Uh, my wife uh, handles that. She um, uh, takes the books to the uh, post office and, and uh, mails them out within uh, within a day of receiving an order. So it's just a simple matter of emailing, saying which book it is that you want to have. Uh, if it's the ebook, you can download it instantly. And all the ebooks are exactly the same as the printed copy, 
they all have photographs, the same photographs in them. Inside Camp X has over 100 photographs uh, with uh, comments. Right. So you've got a very well-researched book. You, I got a signed copy myself of Inside Camp X, very thorough book. And then the website, too, you can see videos of interest. You can see things for students, walking tours. So there's a ton of other information there as well. But can you talk a little bit about, before we wrap it up, about the other books you wrote that involve CampX? Yeah, I, I can. <laughs> um, I got into a lot of trouble writing inside CampX. Of course, you're talking about a top secret um, topic. And um, as many people have done over the years, uh, you know, if you, you don't know that you've got things that are, are still classified as secret, and you don't find out about that until somebody contacts you. So I got on, into a lot of trouble with uh, Inside Campex, and, and uh, so much so that I, the next book that I wrote was camp, called Camp X, Final, The Final Battle. And so with that one, I said, well, I'm going to write this as faction so that the reader won't be able to tell what's fact and what's fiction. So I brought things back to life, actual events that happened, brought them back to life with characters, uh, assumed names and whatnot of, of the real people and brought, took it into a narrative. And, um, you know, one particular thing was uh, uh, an assassination that took place at the camp. Um, and I, I, I didn't want to write it as nonfiction because, again, of the trouble I got into with the first book, writing that one is fact is uh, factual, uh, nonfiction. So uh, I uh, wrote it as faction, and it was great because it just worked out uh, worked out perfectly. So um, all of those books are actual events that took place that I brought back to life with uh, with individuals. Uh, playing the roles gotcha so there's their faction that's final battle vengeance weapon and dispatches from camp X. so there's more stories. Uh, di dis uh, dispatches um is uh there's, there's three books that are are, are non-fiction um inside camp x dispatches from camp x and the the history of special operations in canada those three books are are non-fiction um and they, the first book deals with what I learned from 1976 to 1999 when I published the book. Dispatches went from 1999 to um, 2000 and, uh, no, 1999 to uh, 2011, sorry, 2011. And then the third book was 2011 to the present. So it tells the, the three books tell the complete story uh, day one to, to, to the end. I see. And then the new one that just came out is The Birth of Special Operations in Canada, right? When was that published? That was published uh, two years ago. And uh, that book is very, very popular with, uh, I just sent a book to Australia. I just sent a book uh, to Iceland. It's very popular with uh, intelligence organizations. Um, and it's designed for intelligence organizations because it really is a history book. It, um, it has a lot of the uh, declassified top secret documents that I was talking about uh, quoted within the book. 
Um, so it's a, it's, it's a learning tool for uh, secret agents of today. You know, those who are fighting with uh, in the Middle East and, and, and wherever else. So uh, it's very popular with, with those organizations. I see. Well, I'll put that in the show notes. I'll put a link to the new book, also a link to your website. And again, the author's name is Lynn Philip Hodgson. And the book we talked about today is Inside Camp X. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, take care. Stay there. Stay there.